Welcome to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch. This is a podcast of conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Karen Borg, the CEO of Health Direct Australia. Karen works with government partners to deliver innovative and trusted health information and services to all Australians so they can connect to the right care at the right time, wherever and whenever they need it. Before joining Health Direct Australia, Karen was the inaugural CEO for Jobs for New South Wales, where she led a combined private-public sector team that redesigned government support for private enterprise. Karen's previously been president of Asia Pacific at ResMed and global VP at Johnson & Johnson based in the USA. She's worked for Revlon in Eastern Europe, Seagram in Russia, Goodman Fielder in Australia and Taiwan, and Nestle in Australia. Karen holds a Bachelor of Arts from the Uni of New South Wales, and she was a New South Wales finalist for business, Telstra Businesswoman, uh, Telstra Businesswoman of the Year 2017. Hey, Karen, how are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you very much for inviting me. We made it. I can't remember when we scheduled this one, but I was really keen to get you in the studio and have a chat and just see how it goes. And we're here. We are. So thank you for making the time. That's awesome. So give me the thing. Uh, tell me about Health Direct. What do you guys do? Who do you do it for and what problem do you solve? Okay, well, so Health Direct basically is the largest provider of uh, telehealth solutions information for the Australian community. Mm -hmm. So we have nurses who you can call in. We have websites that you can go onto and find out the answers to all your personal health questions. Mm. So we've been in existence since about 2006. It was agreed between all of the health ministers at the time that what was needed was one a one-stop shop, so a place where people could go and ultimately speak to a nurse. That was the starting point, and that was seen as being probably also a bit of a way to take the pressure off emergency departments, mm. which, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we have a lot of entry points into the healthcare system, and so Health Direct, if you like, is after emergency departments and GPs, we're the third door. Yeah, Okay. Cool. So I've got three kids and I know Health Direct pretty well as a parent because that's the kind of number that's on the fridge on the magnet that you call when, you know, you need help because for some reason kids only get sick when the doctor's closed. And I don't know why, but it's, it's you guys do so much more than that, right? Mm. So we went into a little bit about that before, but, but go into that in more detail for me, please. Well, let me first of all talk about your own knowledge of Health Direct. So as a parent, you're probably familiar with pregnancy, birth and baby. So, yeah. and look, it's that classic story, right? When um, you have um, a young child often who, for whatever reason, is not 100%, mm. um, you know, bundling them in the car, taking them somewhere to a doctor or ED, it's just another thing. And particularly if you've got more than one child, you've got to balance. Have you tried obviously. to get vomit out of a car seat? <laughs> it's just like I, not We off. could probably answer that question. <laughs> But, you know, we could probably answer how was the vomit started in the first place, which is probably more important. There's a triage question for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Behind that one there is. So, yeah, so for parents in particular, that website and ultimately, more importantly, the, the nurses that um, are there to answer the phones are invaluable mm. because they can often take a lot of the angst out for a parent. And more importantly, you know, do I have to definitely take my child and take them somewhere or can I actually yeah. solve the problem at home? Yeah. And Australians are great at self-solving. I think is just, you know, you have to almost sort of say, well, how do I self-solve? Can you just at least give me the direction, mm. right? And going online, looking at a website, I mean, you know, when you've got a screaming child, it's not the first thing you're thinking of. I think I'll do a search, and, yeah. you know, that's not where <laughs> let, you go. Let me Google. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, so I think that is probably 
you know, to a parent, pretty invaluable. But yeah. more importantly, we have lots of other resources. So uh, we have the the core service, which is we've got sort of nearly 300 nurses who are on staff 24-7 mm-hmm. every day of the year, and they are there to answer pretty much any question. And like the main stuff that people tend to ring about, number one, stomach disorders, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. I've mm-hmm. got a sore tummy. Yep. Often uh, things that are quite intimate, so mental health, sexual health questions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you think about a lot of communities where you know, you're younger or maybe you're older and there might be a cultural or an age challenge and you really want to have a fairly, well, a fairly private conversation mm. and maybe you're not in a position to go to a doctor because of access or because of, you know, it might be age. And in some locations, the like the doctor is has known your parents for 40 uh-huh. years. Yeah, right? exactly. The, in, in smaller communities. And, and that's a big deal and that stops a lot of people accessing healthcare. It doesn't matter how trusted that doctor is or anything in the end, Yeah, you know, that's not something they'll do. Well, that's right. I mean, we have GPs online as well. So mm-hmm. so the nurses can also pass the call on to a warm transfer. We call it through to a GP, yeah. um, particularly after hours. That's very important, as you can imagine. Yeah. But fundamentally, yeah, I mean, there's, there are a lot of circumstances where people are looking to have a clinical conversation, yes. but for whatever reason, they can't do it at that point in time, or maybe they just can't do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that the privacy of the phone Mm. is a pretty, it's a very intimate situation that we offer. And I think actually in many ways that's its differentiation to yeah. other health services. Yeah. The, the, something that, I, that I've always thought about too is like it, it's always important that these really valuable services then connect back into the healthcare system. So then, then I, I know if I was like a, like a family GP, I, I'd feel like, well, is that then inhibiting patients coming in to see like the doctor because they don't want to anymore. Like, so yep. h- like how does health direct kind of work with the, the, the health community to bring people back into the, the ecosystem? So to well, we work with, I mean, one of the things I guess I'd sort of say is since um, moving into this role is that we really are seen as a bit of an honest broker um, mm. because we're funded by government, just as, you know, most segments of the health community are funded by government, right? Yeah, at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah. So it's about how, you know, really working with, rather than working in, you know, so I guess your competition right. to GPs or hospitals or, yes. you know, it's also private sector. You know, you have a lot of private sector elements that are woven into the fabric of healthcare. Mm. One of our, our primary resources, which is the National Health Services Directory, yeah. uh, which is essentially a one-stop directory shop for every single health care, I guess, access point you'd want. So I want to see a GP around here, for example. I go online and it'll tell me the closest GP practice to where you and I are mm-hmm. if you suddenly need to go and see one. Yeah. Yep. Or, you know, the hospital. Or it could be a Chinese herbalist. Hmm. I mean, it goes into all the allied healthcare areas as mm-hmm. well. So mm-hmm. that's the largest directory of its kind. It's 98% accurate, which is, you know, to be honest, from a resource perspective, probably, you know, and trusted and it's yeah, trusted. It's and that's the trust in healthcare. Right. I mean, it, it's, I mean, it's one of the most challenging things. People say, you know, sort of, can I trust the government? Well, when it comes to healthcare, the answer is, is that we have to be trustworthy. Yeah. And so we do a huge amount when it comes to accessing the data, mm. double checking the data, mm. triple checking. Yeah. Um, so making sure it's accurate uh-huh. and then also engaging with the community to make sure it's up to date. So is, is Health Direct a government initiative or department or like the the relationship with the government, you're saying it's government funded, how does that all kind of work? So look, we are in fact, uh, it's a really interesting structure. So the original founding fathers, so to speak, were, was COAG. So it was a COAG meeting, health ministers got together back in 2005. Hmm. 
And when it came finally to sort of, I guess, sort of the final structure and setup, it was agreed that the Commonwealth, as well as a group of the health ministers from different jurisdictions, would fund. So, in fact, we have nearly all the jurisdictions funding us plus the Commonwealth. And okay. so we're sort of structured as a government funded entity. Mm-hmm. But we were structured in order to be much faster to respond. So our legal structure allows us to do things like, well, for example, the coronavirus line. There is now a national hotline. So we set that up within 24 hours, which allows anybody who has a question about the coronavirus to ring up and ask about anything, whether it's a clinical conversation, which we'll pass that on, obviously, to the nurses. Or whether it's a general question, like, do I send my kids to school? Mm. Or, you know, I you know, just brushed against somebody who I believe has just come from China. What do I do? Yeah. Any of the questions that you might have. Huh. So, so that is one of the things that we do as well. So in national emergency situations, we are the fastest cap off the rank. And it's yes. hard for government to do that unless it has a sort of separate entity that can pivot a bit yeah. faster. Okay, got it, got it. I know as well that you work with a lot of other tech vendors that are working in the healthcare space as yep. well. Tell me a bit more about that. Well, you might have heard of CoView. So CoView... It came on like as the... No, she was the first interview on this show. Wow. Yeah, okay. Number one. Well, I have to say, I mean, they are... There's a great example, really, I think, of, of Australian innovation. Yeah. So, you know, coming through essentially with some quite unique technology, mm. we then obviously are looking for a very much a um, secure and sort of you know, technologically superior solution for video delivery Mm. and CoView were perfect. So that's a good example of where we'll be, because we're constantly scanning to look for, okay, what else can we do to innovate? Mm. And the reason why is because what we're trying to do is enable access for everybody. And the better and ultimately the more secure those modalities are, the more that we can obviously then access more Australians in the community. So it's it's about uh, horses for courses. And Mm. it's why, I mean, people often talk about, oh, well, you know, the phone, it's kind of out of date. But if you think about most older Australians in particular, and also a lot of Australians in remote locations, the phone is in fact their one reliable source of communication. Yeah. So it's still it's still an infrastructure there that's really meaningful. But then you've got all the digital services and they're constantly being, you know, really gelled up with new stuff. So yeah. Yeah. We have to stay on top of that. So Covey is a good example of what we were doing to improve our video delivery. Yeah, 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 right. So if I was a, a tech vendor at home, then I had a nifty solution that I think the government should know about. I should be like BFFs with Health Direct. Then. Is yeah, that how it, it wouldn't hurt to knock on the door. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> how do you even do that? How do you scan like what's around? Is it just like, does stuff kind of just uh, plump on your desk or do you, do you have to filter out a lot of kind of... Well, you know, I've got a fairly large technology department. Right. And um, it'd be fair to say that obviously they're always very, very busy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> building and developing, so to speak. But yeah. you now, one of the great things about that community is that it's constantly on the lookout. So that kind of almost native scan that it, that they mm-hmm. do, I don't know how it works. Maybe it's osmosis. I mean, or <laughs> <Could> <laughs> but I, I mean, for me, it's great because I mean, like the latest thing really is, for example, in-home um, delivery. So yeah. as we move now towards the technologies that some of the large data companies are looking at, whether it's you know Alexa or Siri yeah. or whatever, that's the next frontier. So we need to think about, okay, where do we sit relative to that type of of sort of communication area? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I've always thought about that too, like how that's going to kind of play in. So I I guess that's reassuring to me, at least a a, a trusted arm for the government is kind of looking into that kind of thing. And I get how like using a, a 
a vehicle such as you guys would be a much more sensible way to go about that rather than trying to do it through the usual kind of glacial pace of, of, <laughs> of government just seems, yeah, hard to do. So that's Look, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's challenging for government to work with technology companies and mm. with especially with young technology companies yeah. because – you know, if you're familiar with procurement with government, there are a lot of rules. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and being compliant with those rules when you're an early stage company, a startup really. I mean, government, for example, the procurement pieces is, you know, if you haven't got three years worth of trading history, yeah. you don't get in the door, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And having come out of sort of a, a good knowledge of startups, I think it's great that we are able to actually transact uh, differently. Yeah. Otherwise, those companies wouldn't really be able to start the the ball rolling. And for a company like Coview, yeah. you know, we're kind of their first customer. Yeah, right. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So what did you do with startups? Well, because my previous role at C, CEO for Jobs for New South Wales, the Sydney Startup Hub was one of the initiatives. Yeah. Um, but we also funded directly any number of different startups. And as I came out of health, obviously, I had a lot of interest in that sector. Yeah. But, you know, health is, is much more challenging. If it's technology data, usually that's okay with services, but where it gets more challenging, of course, if you're doing, you know, deep tech, deep sort of tech. Mm. Okay. I'll stay on track. So <laughs> the... <laughs> By all means. <laughs> um, staying on that train of getting a pulse for what the, the government's kind of appetite is for, let, let's say, telehealth or any modern tech in the use of tech in health. And also you know about the country's acceptance of it as well a little bit, to, given that you've got a national reach and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's a lot, people would say it's like, particularly when it comes to telehealth, like it's all moving way too slow when it's moving at a glacial pace and more needs to be done to be able to get people better access to healthcare. But then others would say there's the capability to do so, but the willingness from patients or doctors or whoever, the uptake isn't there. What's your read on telehealth in this country then and where it's at and where it needs to go? Okay, so I'm, I'm, that's a hobby horse, I have to be honest okay. to say. Um, so we've got, I think um, we could be doing so much more in Australia when it comes to delivery of health uh, remotely, mm. you know, whether digital or phone or whatever. You know, and it's a logical place for it to happen. I mean, we are one of the largest land masses in the world. Um, yeah. We have a lot of a lot of communities that are quite remote. And to be honest, for all intents and purposes, they don't have any directly based healthcare solutions. Oh. So it makes sense to provide something that is cost efficient and accessible and good quality. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So why Australia doesn't lead the world in telehealth? Kind of a bit of a riddle. Oh. <laughs> Because you would think that that's kind of the way most industries are created. And at the end of the day, it's it's also an industry opportunity for the economy, right? Yeah. Um, so we can dig stuff out of the ground because it's underneath our feet. Mm. Uh, we can look at the sunset because we obviously have lots of coastline. We're good at that. Yep. So we need to be thinking about these next industries and telehealth in any country in the world. You look at China, huge, huge physical environment, Russia, you know, all these very, very large geographies. Mm. Australia should be not really kind of like the place they come to and say, well, you've got lots of landmass to cover and clearly you can't put a hospital next to everybody's home. Yes. Hey, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we should be able to tell them, you know, because yeah. that's to me, that's the industry opportunity. But yes. yeah, for whatever reason, it, you know, industry has to often, the, the way has to be led a little bit. And so that initiative and investment just hasn't quite moved at the speed maybe it could have yeah how do we how do we like is it something that can be changed is it something we can influence or do we just kind of have to sit and wait and kind of see how it goes what, what do you reckon i think that um 
sitting and waiting is generally speaking not the greatest way to expect change. I don't like waiting. (laughs) So look, my view is, is that we need to get out there. I, I mean, I'm fairly new into this role still and it's really obvious to me. I mean, it just purely on the numbers. Um, Mm. I mean, I've come Mm. out of a commercial environment. I look at always, you know, what does it cost to see one thing versus another? So you think about the cost of going to an emergency department, which is, you know, easily a thousand dollars, a GP, which is in the hundreds of dollars, which in theory, you know, sort of anyone can do, but anyone can also pick up the phone at any time. And that to me is, you know, knowing the dollars and cents, it's, let's just say in sort of the single dollars kind of thing. So, you know, you really, are talking about quite a different yes. economic cost. Mm. So that is a logical thing. But fundamentally, I think that, you know, we all need to kind of get a bit more health literate is yes. the other thing. So yeah. again, it comes back to we need to be in a position as a community that we can step out a bit more ourselves and say, what do I need to do? Mm-hmm. And for this country, I think, you know, going online or calling somebody up and saying, help me learn more yeah, totally. is the way to start. Yeah, totally. So we can all make a difference. We can, we can. So everyone knows that I'm one of the biggest advocates for the use of tech to enable better patient outcomes and and and, and especially for digital natives that are of a generation that only knew the internet. The concept of of not having digitization in healthcare is kind of this mind-blowing thing. It's like completely shocking. And then um like but only last week I'm sitting in my in my doctor's like GP clinic in the waiting room. And oh, by the way, I was the first appointment and I'm 45 minutes late already. I have no idea how that happens, but that's a side issue. So the, <laughs> the and I'm sitting there and, and I'm near the front counter and then there's this huge lineup and every patient that comes up receptions like, oh, can you fill out this form so that we can send you SMS reminders, which th- there's some level of irony in that too, but that's okay. Uh, but the, there were so many people that, that looked at the receptionist like, that they were asking them to write lines of code or something like that, that it was this completely foreign concept. And they're like, I, I, I don't even have a phone. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure they've had a, they've got a phone. But that's like everyone's kind of take is like, no, I, this, I'm much more comfortable where I am right now. Mm-hmm. And that that was like kind of this, like we're developing so much cool stuff mm-hmm. like to be able to make a huge difference. Is, is Australia even... Like, is it going to solve it? Like, like it, is it going to actually be accepted by patients in the real world? So that's another really good question. So, and I guess this is more my perspective. <laughs> the, the the nature, I believe, of, of behavioural change is still kind of often comes down to, you know, carrots and sticks, right? Mm. Um, mm. And in this country, we have a fantastic healthcare system. We really do. Mm. So despite the fact that obviously punctuality wasn't part of your experience. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty sure you just sat in there waiting. Like, <laughs> well, I guess the point was more, did you get good service when you finally yeah, did see yeah, the doctor? I still right? go to the same guy. So that's, <laughs> so that's the answer, right? Yeah, yeah. But but the answer is, is that, yeah, look, people will change. And the trouble is, of course, change in this particular situation is going to be somewhat generational. So, mm. you know, you, as you sort of said, people were kind of going like, why would I, I don't have a mobile phone or, you know, I don't want to share that with you. I yeah. mean, there are different reasons why people don't engage. Mm. Now, on the other hand, it also comes down to, you know, let's think about here in New South Wales, for example, they were trying to make the change over to people not use, you know, bringing in plastic bags when you did your shopping, yeah, right? Totally. Um, now, when that happened, it was very simple. They sort of said, well, if you want to get one of the bags from the supermarket, yeah. it's going to cost you 20 cents. Right. You know what? I'm not seeing anybody buying those bags. I swear a guy <laughs> got on the train and he had like 15 tomatoes in his hands. And I'm like, just buy a bag, Exactly. Man. Like, <laughs> exactly. 
Uh, so, so you know, that, that's an example, I think, of a stick. But, you know, it's a 20-cent stick, so it's a, not a very expensive yeah. stick. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, the, the thing is is that when you offer, as we do in this country, access to health care, mm. um, generally speaking to most Australians, free of charge. In other words, if you go to an emergency department, it's free mm. of charge. Mm. Or if you go to a bulk billing GP, it's free of charge to the user, obviously, yeah. um, not to the obviously yeah, to the, to the broader yeah. tax-paying Someone, public. Pay. Yeah. Then, you know, people are going to have – they're probably going to move slowly towards change mm, right mm. Like, um, why would i yeah exactly. yeah but if i said okay well you know if you wanted to get a personalized record of your health that you could access at any point and you could get any number of specialists to provide commentary on a particular area of concern to you mm, because mm. they're doing it through telehealth modalities, right? Mm. And for that, what I need from you is basically your, whether it's your phone number or, you know, whatever that particular code is to access it. Sure. Um, yep. Or you, it's going to cost you a few hundred dollars to see every single specialist. Yeah. You know, most people, they come to the party then. Of course. Yeah. Um, so it, it, at the same time, it is a sensitive issue. Mm. Some years ago, there was obviously discussion regarding copay going into, I think it was six dollars mm. um, oh yep I and that. there was it was yeah that didn't go very far that did not go very far <laughs> no so there's sensitivity because the expectation of the public is that healthcare um should be free yes we, we manage my age care for example the which yeah. is really fascinating because you get this really breadth of expectation mm. uh from the community in terms of just the same sort of thing i expect my healthcare to be free i expect all these things to be free and you know I'm an Australian who pays tax and I also expect a lot of things to be free, right. but that's not really an economically sustainable model no, on no. everything. Yep. Got it. No, I like that. So you were talking earlier about other parts of the world. Where's Australia at with telehealth when you compare it to other parts of the world? Do we need to be looking more at them? Should they be looking at us? Is it a bit of both? What do you reckon? Well, yeah, as I mentioned before, I'm an, I've been sort of really an evangelist kind of yeah. attitude towards this stuff. And uh, I look at Australia and I sort of see that we have a good education system. We have good technology. There's no reason why we can't. And we have the geography that lends itself towards mm. telehealth. We should be leading. We're not. You know, there are countries, I mean, it depends where you go, but certainly, you know, you look at the United Kingdom, gosh, New Zealand, yeah. uh, parts of the States are also very, very good when it comes to that sort of thing. It's also to do with the fact that they have, in many instances, different drivers um, and different structures. You know, you know, we have a three-level government structure here. Obviously, in New Zealand, it's a two-level government structure. Hmm. So you end up with the ability uh, to be a little bit more focused yeah. when you've got less voices. So that, to me, is, is sort of one of the reasons why. And the US, of course, because of the private sector engagement, uh, there's a huge amount of health tech yeah. engaging with the reimburses, insurance, you know, those sorts of groups. So, you know, I don't see, for example, insurance companies in this country being at all engaged the same way that American insurance companies are. No, a lot of tire kicking, but not not much execution. Yeah, Yeah. because they're they're still very much focused on the reimbursement. They see their relationship really as sitting between the government and the, basically, their members. Yes. Yeah, okay, okay. All right, well, let, let's wind this out then, Karen. Health Direct, what's what's next? What's on the horizon for you guys? So next, well, we're going to continue, obviously, to, as I said before, scan the horizon to see what new technologies are coming mm. through so that we can continue to, to drive for whatever basically the next great thing is. We're looking at a lot of the AI innovation that's coming through so that not only, for example, can you find 
where the doctor is, but at the same time, I'll SMS you the directions as to how to get there. Yeah, okay. We That's often, cool. yeah, we're, we're often looking at also different technologies that will allow people, for example, who have some access issues. So, for example, if you think about someone who, for whatever reason, isn't able to hear mm. or can't respond, mm. you know, how do we actually make sure that you know they get equal access to you know information, right? Nice. So there's there's new technologies that allow us to provide that access as well. So so you know the the future I, from my perspective it's just going to continue i mean when we started there wasn't much access to the internet i think at that point in 2006 it was like mm. you know something like 40 percent were we still using dial-up then i can't remember yeah Probably. i'm pretty sure we did yeah, yeah. yeah um yeah. so yeah it was different i mean mobile phones you know back then i mean you know people Hardly had them but yeah. not the same i no. think it was still was it blackberries was it pre-blackberry yeah. i'm not <laughs> well, too sure it was something else those were the days yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was when it was when you know there weren't trillionaire companies. You yeah. know, there were just billion companies. Yeah. You know, <laughs> lonely so, billionaire yeah. companies. So nice. yeah, so no, for us, and it's going to be a continued partnership with the tech community that that yeah. allows us to to stay on top of that, and and then fundamentally to continue to work with the health departments in government. I mean, all the different layers is you know these are our partners. So understanding what they're trying to solve and working with them, that's what we'll do as well. A lot of plates, a lot of plates spinning, Karen. Yep. I, I really appreciate your time. It sounds like lots going on. I'll pop some details in the show notes and some links to the stuff that we've talked about in the show. Karen, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch. Go check out the website, contribute to the forum, listen to other episodes and get in touch with feedback about the show because collaboration starts with a conversation. Speak to you next time.